So just looking at your history, you've got something that's bothering you, is that right? Yeah, well I have a few, yeah, I have a few sort of, I mean I have a lot of moles anyway. Mm -hmm. I have had one removed in the past. Mm -hmm. They didn't even track it, they just said, that one's got to go. But then, yeah, I've got um, like a couple spots on my face that bother me. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't know if there are things that are going to turn into moles or, so I have quite a lot of those little red spots that turn mm -hmm. into moles. So okay. some general mole check, couple of, are these moles? <laughs> don't think. Yes. Now tell me, you've had something taken out, you indicated to your chest, is that right? Yeah, on, on like my right breast, um, I had a mole taken out once, like a little sort of American football shaped mm -hmm. chunk that was taken out. Um, mm -hmm. And it was just, they didn't like the shape, they didn't like the outline. Mm -hmm. This is Christina Baldarelli. She's originally from California, but has spent the last 11 years living in Aotearoa. She's currently based in Wellington with her partner and two young children. Her family have a history of melanoma, and as you've just heard, she's also had her own issues in the past. I've had to have two moles cut out before. They just didn't like the shape of it, didn't like the, you know, it was uneven in colour. And then I've had another similar one on my back before. We're joining her in Dr Shona Dalzell's office in the Skin Institute. She is preparing to undergo her first skin check in over five years, which for someone with her history does feel like a long time. It's been weighing on me that I haven't prioritised getting my own kind of preventative health care. Enough time has passed that it's just, I feel the pressure, I need to kind of put it on the top of the stack. But today's visit is also spurred in part by two new moles that she's noticed recently. One on her chin and one on her nose. I think, you know, you always mentally prepare yourself that like, hey, all right, you know, you're probably going to find a little something. Hopefully, once Dr. Shona has had a proper look, she'll tell us they're nothing to worry about. But it's worth remembering that here in Aotearoa, we do have the highest melanoma rate in the world. All right, so we're just going to go through the other room and we'll do your examination. You're listening to Consume This with me, Sophie Stewart. As we approach the official start of summer, that's the 22nd of December if you're curious, it's time for our annual reminder that despite being essential for all life on Earth, the giant nuclear fusion reactor in the sky is also slowly, subtly trying to kill us. Yes, I'm talking about the sun, and as we know, it's trying just that little bit harder to burn us here than almost anywhere else in the world. That's why, as I've already mentioned, we have the highest rate of skin cancers. Over 80,000 of us are diagnosed with one every year. It accounts for 8 out of 10 new cancers and costs the health service almost $200 million annually. In fact, my dad just had one removed the other week. We get lots of sunburn and a higher dose of UV than most of the world. To explain why, I've called in an expert. Right. Uh, my name is Olaf Morgenstern. I'm a principal scientist, climate and atmosphere here at NIWA. Now, I've been in atmospheric science since I started my PhD in 1994, so it's a long time ago. <laughs> so it turns out that there are four main factors. So ozone is one of those. Ozone is a molecule made up of three oxygen atoms bound together. Those atoms vibrate at a frequency that absorbs harmful UV rays in the atmosphere before they reach the ground and our skin. Essentially, it acts as a big blanket of sunscreen for the planet. Ozone absorbs UV, so the ultraviolet light that comes from the sun. If that wasn't the case, we would have much larger levels of UV at the surface. 
and it would essentially prevent terrestrial life from occurring, or at least not in the forms that we know today. So we express total amounts of ozone in terms of Dobson units, where Dobson unit is a millimeter of ozone at, at, at high pressure, essentially. So we, we might have about uh, 300 Dobson units or so here in summer. In the Northern Hemisphere, it's exceeding 400. So that's part of it. We naturally have a lower concentration of ozone than they do in the Northern Hemisphere. Plus, very occasionally, bits of the ozone hole that usually lives over Antarctica can break off, drifting casually over the top of us, which is obviously not great. The second reason, somewhat unbelievably, boils down to dust. Anybody know dust? Apparently, we have less dust here. Yes, really. Everyone needs to stop vacuuming. So if you go out, if you've been to the Northern Hemisphere, you notice that the visibility in this country is often a lot better than in comparable places in the north. That's because of a particulate matter in the air that is just lower here in, in this part of the world. But these particles would also be reflecting UV back into space, and so they contribute to the protection that that we would otherwise... Well, they don't contribute because of their absence in this country so much. The third factor is that the Earth is not on a circular path around the Sun, you know, in its annual development, but rather on an elliptical path. And so in our summer, the distance between the sun and the earth is actually relatively small. So we, the, the distance minimizes in our summer and maximizes in our winter, whereas in the northern hemisphere, it's the other way around. Yeah, I mean, it's an astronomical factor that is quite basic. So yeah, quite basic. Essentially, we're victims of our own geography. The Icarus of the earth, flying too close to the sun. Uh, but they don't explain all of the difference in, in UV that we observe in this country relative to the Northern Hemisphere. So there's a significant fourth factor that we have to associate with clouds, where the clouds here are different from the North and um, effectively allow more UV through. If you think that sounds very vague, well, you're not alone. We know the clouds are up to something, those sneaky bastards, but it's not really clear what. Yeah, well, that's, that's a research problem. Research is currently being undertaken in collaboration with the University of Hanover in Germany. So watch this space. I want to get back to Christina and her skin check very soon. We can't leave her hanging for too long. But first, how does all of this UV translate into actual sunburn? To answer that question, we're going to need another expert. So there's two main types of UV that actually reach the skin surface, UVA and UVB, and they just differ by their wavelengths, essentially. This is Bronwyn McNoe. She works for the University of Otago, working on the Cancer Society Research Collaboration. Um, so UVA penetrates much more deeply into your skin, and it results in skin ageing and tanning. So that's, that's, that doesn't actually stand for ageing, but that's how I remember it and UVB, um, which reaches the epidermis, which is just the um, more outer layers of skin, and that causes your skin to burn. So both UVA and UVB do cause skin cancer. And so when you're thinking about sunscreen, broad spectrum just means it blocks UVA and UVB, whereas the SPF factor of sunscreen just is talking about the UVB component. UV rays generally will um, damage the DNA within the skin, by causing alterations of the DNA um, structure. So the DNA damage is what will result in your increase in risk for skin cancers. In terms of the actual sunburn, how that happens 
is that when you're exposing your skin to too much UV, you're damaging the, the skin cells. And what they do is they release a chemical, um, which then triggers an inflammatory response. And you can see that physically with redness and swelling and heat and pain in your skin. Um, and your body responds to that by causing inflammation, dilation of blood cells near the skin surface where you've got that damage and uh, causing your skin to feel sore and red. Yeah, essentially that's um, the process. So sunburn is essentially an immune response which is triggered by UV rays causing damage to our DNA. It's also something that Christina has had more than her fair share of. Yeah, oh... I could get real deep on that, eh? Because, like, so much of it just comes down to your social circles and your, you know, your self-image and that kind of thing. Like, when I was growing up, you were just going to be tan and you were going to be in the sun. And, I mean, our favorite activity was laying out, literally. we go, do you want to go lay out? You know, and we would go to the pool, we'd go to the beach, and we'd just go lay there and chat. And, you know, that was the social activity that we did. Um, so it would be really hard not to do. Now, um, I mean, I'm a lot more my own person, right? Like, I'm not exactly succumbing to the peer pressure of going around today's Bay Beach and, you know, want to see and be seen or anything. When we left her at the start of the episode, she was just heading in for her skin check. She's changed into a gown, removed her makeup, well, most of it. Okay, so I see you've got lovely nails mm. now you can actually get melanoma underneath the nail okay okay all right yes. um so if you notice uh, a dark streak in the nail yeah now next time your nail polishes off uh-huh. just have a look yeah you can, good sure. yeah, you can get melanoma anywhere you can get melanoma where the sun doesn't shine yeah really mm-hmm. oh wow yeah and bob marley actually died of a melanoma of his toe really yeah christina is now sitting in the middle of a well-lit room kind of like a dentist, but with a friendlier vibe. Dr. Shona pulls out a dermatoscope. It's a special kind of polarised magnifying glass that lets her examine the subsurface skin structures in Christina's epidermis. Okay, so like any sort of good examination, it starts with a history. So you find out about risk factors, and then you find out what the patient is concerned about as well. And then it's sort of doing a stepwise examination, starting a top-to-toe examination, looking for anything that might be concerning. And that can be sort of both what we call pigmented or coloured lesions, or it could be things which are scaly, raised, bleeding, non-healing, those sort of things. She starts off by examining the spots Christina is most concerned about. So these little red dots that you're talking about, the little capillary hemangiomas, the little gift of time, those ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. they are adding up with time, yes. yes. <laughs> yeah. So they're harmless. Yeah. Okay. So that's great news, but there's still the rest of the body to check, and that's where Shona finds something that she's not so sure about. This little mole, which is pretty tiny on the mm-hmm. back of your right shoulder here, probably one that you would never think about, really, right? Not okay. at all. It's only about... Three millimetres, if that, okay. But when we look here, we can see that it's got the pattern when we divide it into quarters, it all looks a little bit different, Mm -hmm. right? It's not nice and even through. Mm -hmm. We've got what we call some globules here over this side here, okay? A little bit of grey under here. Yeah, it's so crazy because when you just look at it, it looks just like a regular mold. It does, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, that's the importance of getting your skin checked. Sometimes it's just not 
what bothers you that bothers us, right? Mm. Um, and having the right tools to be able to look at the, the skin properly so you yeah. can make a proper assessment. Yeah, that's amazing. Like I, I would not guess that that, that close-up photo is this little spot compared to the spot next to it, which looks exactly the same. Yeah. So Dr Shona has found something that she is concerned about. It might be cancerous or it might not be. The only way to know for sure is to have it taken out. After Shona has finished her inspection, Christina gets dressed and makes an appointment to have it removed in a couple of weeks' time. So we'll get Christina and we'll, we'll put a little bit of local anaesthetic in, a numbing agent in, and we'll take out that lesion with a, with a small margin, um, put a couple of stitches in there, and then we'll send it away to the laboratory to be processed. They'll look under the microscope and they'll just see whether or not the cells are behaving themselves or not. If it is a skin cancer, then we'd need to take some more out. And then it really depends on if it is a skin cancer, when they look under the microscope, they look at the length, the depth of the cell and sort of the surrounding tissue around that, and then that will decide whether further investigation is needed or just take it out with a wider margin. Dr Shona doesn't seem particularly phased by this discovery. So just how common is it for her to find something she wants to remove? Look, it can be quite variable, and it can depend on your patient list of the day. Of course, skin cancer increases with age, and it also can increase in location as well. So often places like Nelson, where people get a lot of sun, there's quite a high rate, and you probably find something every second consultation, and an older population as well. Not necessarily melanoma, but a lot of squamous cell and basal cell, a lot of sun damage. So it is a little bit variable, but usually you would find a skin cancer most days, whether or not it's a melanoma, no. But melanoma is less common. Much more common are the non-melanoma skin cancers. That is remarkably common. But there are some simple steps we can take to drastically reduce the chance that one of those people is us. The first is, before we go out, we should get into the habit of checking the UV index. It's not hard. You'll be able to find it on your phone's weather app. NIWA also publishes it on their website. It's about the amount of UV reaching the Earth's surface. So at a UV of 3, sun protection is recommended. At a UV level of 6, the levels are considered high, so um, you would take even more precaution. At a UVI of 8, it's very high, and then your UVI of 11 is extreme, and you would consider staying inside at those levels. And that sun protection should involve the old slip-slop, slap and wrap, staying covered up and wearing sunglasses. So just basically, essentially, if you're covering up with clothing, the UV can't reach your skin. Seeking shade. If you do use shade, and it's good shade, it can reduce UV by 75%. So a very effective sun protection strategy. And of course, one of our favourites here at Consume This, wearing SPF 50 plus sunscreen, which is now actually 50 plus. Thank you, Consumer NZ. So it's important when you're using sunscreen that you make sure that you apply enough. You have to apply it reasonably thickly, so for... An average size adult, if you're not wearing very much, it's 35 grams, which is about a teaspoon per body part. You need to make sure that it's broad spectrum. It's better if it's SPF 50 plus. You need to apply it 20 minutes before you go outside and then two hourly after that. And like Christina, if there's something you are concerned about, go and get it checked out. You don't necessarily have to go to a specialist clinic. You might just be able to go to your GP. Surveying by Bronwyn and the Cancer Society, 
indicates that almost 90% of us know all of this. But it doesn't seem to be having much of an impact. Our skin cancer rate is flatlining, whilst across the ditch in Aussie, they're seeing it trending down. So Australia has basically left us behind in every single dimension, except for now we actually have sunscreens regulated, which is great. They are investing a considerable amount in their national campaign, even this SunSmart program. They've got a complete ban on sunbeds. We do not have that. We only have restriction on those aged 18 years old and over. They have removed GST off sunscreen. We have not done that. They have funding, um, not all the states, but some of the states have shade grants available for schools to apply for to um, put shade into their playgrounds. In a New Zealand school, if you want shade installed, you're going to have to fundraise for it. The Ministry of of Education does not fund it unless it's a new school. So that's quite a big ask for um, for a school to do that. And as a result in Australia, their melanoma rates are now coming down. Ours are not coming down. That just shows the investment that they've made over decades, really. So skin cancer is like 20 years, so that's a long time. Outside most politicians' career, so I think that's an issue for us, and I'm not quite sure how that can be addressed, really. So ultimately, while we are always going to be exposed to more UV than our friends in the Northern Hemisphere, there are things we can do to reduce our skin cancer risk. We know what to do. We just have to do it. As with many things that involve behaviour change, it's not going to happen overnight. It needs sustained generational change. Talking to Christina gives me hope. Hope that the message is trickling down. Hope that there's an end in sight for our frankly ridiculously high skin cancer rate. I didn't have great practices when I was a kid and, you know, my older generations didn't have the education to educate us about what to prioritize. So um, I can definitely try to do that for the kids, especially when it comes to actually like, it's not just sunscreen, it's hats. It's yeah. When, when we go out, that kind of thing. So um, that's definitely given me better practices because I know that I'm responsible for, you know, keeping my kids healthy. So while I might not prioritize it for myself or I might not have internalized that, oh, that's something that I need to be concerned about just from all the historical you know, um, experience, like for my kids, I'm hyper aware of kind of doing the right thing. So um, hopefully there's been some positive benefit to my own health from, you know, just not taking them out at the wrong time. Since we recorded this podcast, Christina has had her mole taken out and we're happy to report that everything looks great. You've been listening to Consume This with me, Sophie Stewart. Consume This is brought to you by Consumer NZ, and this episode was made possible in part by support from the Ministry of Health. It was produced by Tom Ray smith Our thanks go out to the Skin Institute, the Cancer Society, University of Otago and Niwa for their help with this episode. Kakite. I am Abby Darman and I work in the campaigns team at Consumer New Zealand. I want to tell you about some of the exciting work we're doing here at Consumer New Zealand. Right now, literally, as we speak, we are working really hard to keep big businesses and our lawmakers in check. So we're currently engaged in taking on unfair retirement village contracts, misleading supermarket pricing and dodgy green claims. To keep up this good work, we need to raise $50,000 before the 24th of September. So please, if you can, 
Help us to help others by heading to consumer.org.nz forward slash donate. Thanks so much.